Highlights, podcast number 21 at joettecalories.com, and here's some upcoming highlights. There's a lot you can take care of on your own with your family. You know, yes, cancer, yes, AIDS, yes, rheumatoid arthritis, but you have to know your stuff. You can't go and say, oh, I can treat this and just go by a protocol. You have to be sure you know uh, what it is you're treating. There does come a point when you may need more expert um, opinion. And so uh, there are times when people who do not know enough homeopathy that they really do need to go to someone and get perhaps conventional care. Just in case, it's nice to have that second opinion. What I like about this podcast is that it gives you another layer of self-empowerment. Those of you who have been reading Joette's blog for a while have come to know the Banerjee protocols, which greatly simplify homeopathy Basically, if you have a diagnosis or a a clear pathology, you meet it with a protocol to uproot that disease. But it's important to remember that just because you have a protocol doesn't necessarily mean that you have the skill or the tools that you need to progress through that illness. And so in this podcast, Joette gives us four key components to help us determine whether or not we are able to complete the healing at home ourselves or if we should seek out conventional medical advice. Joette also gives us some great suggestions on how to find a medical doctor should you need one. So if you're ever in a situation where you do want that conventional medical advice, how do you go about selecting the right doctor for you? All right, here we go. I'm excited to be talking with you again. Hi, Paula. I love this too. <laughs> I love these podcasts. It's really, it, it really is like talking to friends, my wise girlfriend. Yes, yep. exactly. So today's subject that we decided to, that we're going to talk about is discernment. And we'll kind of go into what we mean by that. And also selecting a doctor, an mm-hmm. allopathic traditional doctor, right? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get started. Tell us what what do we mean by discernment? What does that mean? Well, I think what you and I had tried to, what we want to convey today, because you and I have talked about this in the past, is that we want people to understand that there's a lot you can take care of on your own with your family. You can take care of your children yourself. You can take care of yourself, your husband, your, your pets, your livestock, etc. But there does come a point when you may need more expert um, opinions and even care. And I always talk about how important it is to be self-empowered, but let's not be self-foolish either. We have to know what we're capable of. And um, when we start learning homeopathy, it is a heady experience when you start curing your family. There's no doubt about it. And what do you mean heavy? Like stressful? heady? No, heady, 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 okay. heady experience. It's like a, it's a, it's 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 a. It's a, well, to, to speak in, in the 70s terms, it's a rush. It's a, it's, a, it's a high. It's a very exciting experience to be able to cure someone, no doubt about it. But we also have to know our limitations. And so uh, um, homeopathy can, can, has the ability to cure all the diseases. This is an actual quote that Dr. Prasanta Banerjee said to me once. He said, homeopathy can cure all diseases, but it can't cure all people. So it means that it can, you know, yes, cancer, yes, AIDS, yes, rheumatoid arthritis, but not all people with those conditions 
will be relieved of them completely. So it means that it also depends on the person. So there are a lot of factors involved here. And I wish I could say that this medicine is linear and it's super um, uh, simple. And it is, we, I mean, we have gotten a very complex medical paradigm homeopathy and distilled it by we i mean the banerjee's have done this and i have some protocols of my own as well as most homeopaths have been in practice for any period of time um but we've we've distilled it down to some real simple protocols but you have to be sure you know uh what it is you're treating i mean if you've got a urinary tract infection we're going to talk about that but if, so if you've got a urinary tract infection and you've got some urgency and some burning and and you've had this before even if you haven't you can go right to the remedies that are specific for that you know cantharis 30 metarinum 200 that kind of thing and start using them and you should see some improvement within some people report improvement within you know a couple hours of taking the remedy some people not until the end of the day and others not for a day or so but um if it feels like it's going to the kidneys holy cow that's usually in your mid to lower back. Right, 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 right. Not that homeopathy can't uproot that. It certainly can, but you may not know the protocols well enough. You may not have the, the confidence or the ability to know how often to use them. And so uh, there are times when people who do not know enough homeopathy that they really do need to go to someone and get perhaps conventional care. Now, I always talk about how I didn't take my kids to the doctors while they were growing up. They're all adults now. But it was also because they never got very seriously ill. Right. Um, there was one time, though, I should say I never took them. That's really not 100% true because my oldest son broke his nose. And <laughs> literally, I mean, his nose was off to the side of his face. It was not in the center of his face. Oh, no. Broke it. it went off to the side. I actually was not home that night. My husband called me and said, oh my God, you should see our son. So my husband is a professional skier and has been taking professional skiing, you know, uh, he, you know he teaches professional skiing and our, as are all of our children. And so he knows what to do about a broken nose. You just kind of push it back in place and there it is. I know it sounds horrible, doesn't it? Um, but you push it back in place and, 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 you know, my son was able to breathe and it was all right and the pain had calmed down. We had given him aconitum and arnica and things were pretty good, but... I said, are you comfortable with this? I asked him. He was about, I don't know, 17 at the time. He said, yeah, I'm comfortable. I feel like this is okay. But, you know, and I, I, using Arnica was something that I knew enough to use in case there was hematoma, there was internal bleeding. Who knows what could happen? Right. You know, the nose is awfully close to the brain, for goodness sakes. The pituitary gland is right behind there. So um, I said, do you want to see someone? He said, well, not really, Mom. I trust this that you and Dad know. But then we said, you know, just in case. So we went to uh, an emergency room that's not too far from us. Now, we live in farm country. So we went to this particular one where they see a lot of farm accidents. And we walked in and I said uh, to the nurse, you know, this is not serious. I think he's fine. But it would be really nice if we could just have someone just take a quick look. And the doctor looked at him and we said, yeah, it's fine. Mm -hmm. So um, and no, nothing was done. And it was just, a, you know, a confirmation that, yes, indeed, there wasn't anything more that we needed to do. I mean, we looked, I scoped, I looked, you know, I, I did scope. I mean, I looked up in there with a flashlight. My husband looked, he looked fine. But nonetheless, just in case we did use you know, a, another opinion. It's nice to have that second opinion. So one of the things that I tell people, if, if you go into the hospital or the ER or the, the doctor's office with this situation, you, you do need to kind of steal yourself, you know, yes. to some degree because, you know, obviously like a broken nose wasn't an emergency, but I was talking to my girlfriend um, in the Moms with Moxie podcast that 
that her son had a febrile seizure, you know, and, you know, she said that they had like, she's like, I don't know how, it was like a coordinated effort. One nurse, then another nurse, then one doctor and another doctor all trying to push Tylenol on her son. And, and she said, I'm sorry, but he doesn't need Tylenol. And she's, she's a tough cookie, you know, but, but if you go in there kind of loosey goosey and you don't steal yourself and bolden yourself to know, okay, I want to understand what he needs and what he doesn't need. And she didn't feel like he needed Tylenol because she felt like the fever was actually trying to kill off an infection, you know. She had confidence. And the she, reason she had yes. confidence is because she'd been doing her reading. Nice. You have to read. You have to educate yourself. You have to know your stuff. You can't go and say, oh, I can treat this and just go by a protocol. You better know your stuff. And right. if your family suffers from, let's say this child suffers from febrile seizures, you better know all about febrile seizures. Right. You better read up on them. Right. What, well, if, if you give Tylenol, are there any side effects? What right. will Tylenol do? Are we trying to reduce the fever? Or are we curing the febrile seizures? You, you want to know what the goal here is. Is it to treat symptoms or is it to correct the condition? Right. So it, there's no doubt that mm -hmm. all of this, the discernment comes, in my estimation, for finding that tipping point where when, it's, when it becomes, when it's intelligent to to make decisions on your own for your family and yourself and when it's foolish. Right. Well, and, and in her case, she had read all the books that you recommended, the doc, you know, how to raise a healthy child in spite of your doctor by Dr. Robert Mendelson. He does talk about febrile seizures. So, you know, the first time it happens, you don't know it's going to happen until it happens. Right. But then she right. already kind of knew and had done some homework, you know, but going back to, to the benefit of going to a doctor, they told her, well, your son has strep throat. Yes, good information. Oh, great information. Very helpful information, especially because he was pretty little and he probably couldn't articulate very well. Right. right. He's got a strep throat. Now this mother knows what it smells like because there is sometimes an, uh, an yeah. odor to strep throat. And now that she'll recognize that. Now she'll say, okay, let's see your throat. And she looks in there and she sees the redness with the white spots or she doesn't see, I mean, sometimes it doesn't present that way. Right. But if she can get that information down, now she's learned something. Right. Something of true value, not only for this child, but perhaps subsequent children that come along and have similar situation. And guess what? Some of my students in my study group class, because I run a little study group class, um, they're telling me that you can get rapid strep tests on Amazon. Yes, it's a beautiful thing. Which is really cool. So yes, so there you go. Now you get now if your child is prone to strep throat, then you get those strep tests. Right Buy it now. Right. Have I did. Hand. Absolutely. Have, have my box right here. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> just came in the mail because I, you know, you're all going to get it at some point. You right. Know? It's very likely. Sure. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. Yes. So, so going back to that discernment, are there any guidelines we should have to know, okay, this is okay for me to stay at home and kind of, kind of wait it out. You know, obviously like the anaphylaxis, like those are very obvious that we need to go to the doctor now, but, but sometimes these, these illnesses kind of creep up on us. Mm -hmm. and and the and you know one day then you just kind of wait a little longer and you wait a little longer and then you might be doing something foolish so do you have kind of some guidelines or well first of all one of the things you want to do and you just mentioned it a moment ago is make sure you're doing your reading so you want to read dr mendelson's book how to raise a healthy child in spite of your doctor everyone every mother who takes any of this seriously who wants to do this themselves needs to buy that book it's a dollar on amazon right. and before you even get it in the mail 
from Amazon. Go online and find Dr. Robert Mendelson and watch him on YouTube. He's an amazing man. He was an amazing man. Unfortunately, he passed away some couple decades ago. He was a pediatrician and he was, um, he was a uh, stalwart in the alternative pediatric community. And of course, he was given a lot of heck for it. But his information is like gold. Now, when you finish reading that book, now you underline the areas that are the most valuable to you and your family. Right. And go back and look at it again and again and again. And meanwhile, now he was not a homeopath. He was an MD, but he did not know homeopathy. And, and now you f figure out which homeopathic medicines can be used for that particular condition. Own them. That's number one. Oh, actually, it's number two. To, dis to be able to discern whether or not you can do this is, first of all, you have to have some knowledge. And that's what I'm talking about now. Not just homeopathic knowledge, although that's invaluable, but you need some knowledge from other people who have stepped outside of this proverbial box. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't done that and you're not, you haven't done any reading like that, then, you're, then don't step outside of the box. Then you still do need modern medicine because you got to do, often, you got to do something. Not always, not always. You know, before I started learning homeopathy, I knew that um, there was nothing wrong with a fever. And I knew that it's okay if a child gets a cold. And I didn't have to treat them. I used essential oils here and there. I used herbs and that kind of thing and a little bit of homeopathy because I was just learning it. But I, I also knew you could do absolutely nothing for most childhood illnesses and they would be just fine. Check that's, and all I, always, I always talk about my mother-in-law. That's her. She had the 10 kids. And cumulatively, I swear, they probably, between all 10 children, taken a total of like six antibiotics while they lived with her. You know, I don't know what, what it's been like since they've grown up. But, and she didn't have homeopathy. She didn't have essential oils. She did a little bit of garlic drops for ear infections. But she just waited it out. Right. Let it go and let the fever do its thing. But you see, a big part of what you're talking about here is 10 kids. In the <laughs> old days, women had larger families. The families were just, you know, in, innately larger. And so the mothers had a lot of experience. But in today's world, if a person has, a woman has one child, she freaks over right. that one child. It's, it is something that I see consistently in mothers who have one child, that they, that, that they cannot get over the fact that their child is sick. There's nothing wrong with a the cold. There's nothing wrong with chickenpox. Actually, there's nothing wrong with measles. I wish my kids had gotten it. And there's nothing wrong with mumps. I wish my kids had gotten it. I mean, yeah, can we, can we get very, very, very sick with those? Of course we can. A cold can kill you, you know, but that doesn't mean you think it is. Mm -hmm. You know, you just make sure that the person's getting bone stocks and drinking properly, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's some pretty simple common sense methods here. Right. And just waiting it out can be... Yes, can be valuable in and of itself. Now, when do you wait it out? If you've got a kidney infection, you don't wait it out. That is not going to go away by itself. So you need to do something about a kidney infection, for example, or if it feels like it's going into the kidneys. It's one thing to have a, a urinary tract infection that's in the bladder or the ureter, um, but not, or the urethra, but not when it starts going into the kidneys. Travel now, that. does it mean that homeopathy can't treat it? Of course it can treat it. Of course it can uproot it. But if you don't have those, that information, it can't do it for you. So well, you have to have the knowledge. I have to be honest with you. You know, I've, I, my bladder has been my, you know, struggle for all, for many years before I met you, Joette. And, um, I talk to women who will say, you know, oh, I've never had a bladder infection before. And my joke is always like, well, God loved you more, <laughs> you know, because it's <laughs> terrible. But I also feel like if you're a woman and you're listening to this and you, and especially if you have a daughter, count on it. 
Someone you know, your daughter, your sister, your cousin, someone close to you will have a UTI. So brush up on that. That's something every woman should understand to some degree because our urethras are shorter. So we're going to get it easier. Yep, yep, yep. There are a lot of, yeah, certainly honeymoon cystitis, you mm-hmm. know, after uh, when a woman first gets married and there's a lot of activity sexually, that is a co- uh, often a time when that occurs. So we have to be prepared for that. That was when I got my first one. And boy, yep. do I wish the, the remedy for that is Staphysagria. That's it's right. Gorgeous. And I'm just yes. kicking myself that, you know, you betcha when my do- daughter goes off to get married and yes, she's going to take Staphysagria with her. On the honeymoon. Yep. A whole kit, a whole little kit. Absolutely. So that's the first, that's the first rule in my estimation. The first two rules, knowledge and remedies. Yeah. Well, the second rule was with remedies is I often get people who call up and say, my child has got this, this, and this with a cold or something acute. And I say, well, I'll tell you what the remedy is, but if you don't own it, what good is it? Or if you contact my office and it's, you know, five o'clock on Saturday night, and right. we close it a little bit after five Eastern time. And now what? Your stores are closed. All day Sunday, your stores might be closed. Um, and you're certainly not going to get mail. And then you order it on Amazon or wherever from, Bor- from, from Boron uh, directly. It will be Tuesday when you get it. You know? No. I mean, at least Wednesday, I feel Maybe like. Maybe even Wednesday. Because they right. don't even ship it out. So they don't prepare the package until Monday. Until Monday. Right. You're yeah. lucky if you get it on Tuesday or Wednesday. That's right. So you have to own a kit or two or three. And I tell people they should own the top 100 potencies um, that are uh, top 100 remedies in which the potency is mostly 30s. And we sell those in the office. That's the red kit. The red kit. Yes. And then own a 200 potency kit. Um, that's a little gray kit and there are 50 remedies in that. You should own every cell salt. We, we sell those kits too. You don't have to buy them from me. You just have to own these remedies. You know, we'd make it easy, but you really need to own them. Right. Then if there's a remedy that's not in that kit, those kits, and of course there will be because there are 6,000 remedies and we're only talking about 150 here that right. that, or 172 or something, 62. <clears throat> when you told all those three kits up, um, that you, if you have a remedy that you, that you know you'll need, you better own it. So going back to women, you have to have metarinum. That yes. is a big part of the protocol yes. for bladder infections, and that's yes. not in those kits. That's right. Metarinum 200. Absolutely. It's a beautiful remedy, and it's very important to own. And I'll tell you one more that's not in those kits that people often wish they had is Sanguinaria 200 for sinuses. Yes, and Camphor 200 is not yeah. in those kits, too. Those are the three that I run into the most. That yes, are- yes, ma'am. Absolutely. We need to have those. But there are plenty more. There's Chelidonium 6, and there's like ORs. And there, I mean, we could go on and on about the remedies that I use that are Banerjee protocols or even that are not Banerjee protocols that you absolutely must own. If you have a proneness for one thing or another, or you think someone in your family will. And here's the, here's the problem. Most people say, well, well, you know, I already own a lot. You'll never own a lot. You'll never own enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, as, when I say there are 6,000 homeopathic medicines out there, I mean it. When we had to memorize our, our Materia Medica, when I was studying for the exams for, for, to become professional homeopath, uh, we had to study, we had to memorize 300, 350, something like that, homeopathic medicines. We had to know them inside and out. We had to know our medicines. And to not own them would be kind of goofy. Because then if I needed them, I certainly knew all about them. I knew what to do, but I didn't have it to use it. So that's kind of, you know, a non sequitur. So the point is, is that you want to own as many as you possibly can. Here's the thing. 
when people start saying that this is expensive, I want to just smack them because it's not expensive. Yeah, They're not expensive. When you buy a kit that's, uh, you know, that has um, uh, 100 remedies in it and the cost is $257, that means each bottle costs $2.57. Can you find anything out anywhere? Essential oils, herbs, vitamins? God forbid we're talking about drugs. Right. I mean, EpiPens are now, what, $600 or something? Yeah. And they go out of, they, they are stale dated. With homeopathy, nothing is stale dated. They may put a date on it because the FDA requires it. But to be honest, I've got remedies here in my office that are from 1918 and they still work. I mean, the bottle says stamped on it, 1918, Belladonna 30C, 30X. And I have used it and it still works. So these remedies will be passed down to your great, great grandchildren. So it's an investment. And speaking of the FDA, the controversy with Highlands teething tablets, Highlands decide to, decided to remove the teething tablets yes. from the U.S. Right. Own your remedies. Yeah, you better own them. That's you right. You never know. You That's never right. know what new controversies on the horizon. That's right. That's right. Remedies. Yes, yes. Okay, yes. so let's say, you know, we have, let's go back to like the UTI example. You know, let's say I'm struggling with the UTI I have the knowledge, I have the remedies, I'm still struggling with it. What's the next kind of step in discernment? If you're, what you want to know is what you're, what you're looking for. Once you've taken the medicine, you got to know what it is you're looking for. If you think that it's going to take four days for it to correct itself and you've got a urinary tract infection, you're incorrect. That's not, that's not the way it works. You should be able to take it ev about every, if it's very severe, every hour even, or maybe every three hours and then watch for improvement it's really better generally speaking to do it to, to use it every but three to four hours but if it's screaming horrendous mm -hmm. then you know there's a lot of pain a lot of urgency then you take it every hour for a couple of hours or a couple of doses and then you open it up to every three to four hours and if you don't see a change after a few doses i mean we're looking even for a little bit of a change but if you don't see a change you know what you may be wrong in the remedies that you're choosing and if that's the case you might indeed need to get to a hospital or to a doctor because we don't want to take a chance with an infection of that potential magnitude. Now, if it's because, a cold, that's something else. But when we're talking about urinary tract, we don't want it going into the kidneys. Well, and let me explain why. I think some people don't even realize that. When it gets to your kidneys, your kidneys is what filters your blood. So if your kidneys are infected with E. coli or whatever it is, and your blood is going through those kidneys, your blood is picking up the infection and you're going sepsis, basically. Right. Right. all over your body. Now, I'm not trying to scare people, right, right. but you do need to know what we're, what we're talking about. Right, right. Well, I will tell you, my, my, my next suggestion is um, you get your remedy kit. If you're not sure what to do and you're thinking, I wonder if I should get to an emergency room. I'm really scared, whether it's UTI or you know, going to kidneys or your child or head injury, whatever it might be. You grab your remedies, you get into the car with your child, and you get to an emergency room. Now, what you, oh, you should bring a little bit more than that. Bring some water, maybe some playing cards, a couple, a bag of popcorn or something, and you stand, you go to the emergency room, but you don't go in necessarily. I mean, if you need to, of course. I mean, if it's really, really obvious, of course you're going to go in. But park in the parking lot of the emergency room. And with a blanket, a, a couple, uh, a, a, a deck of cards, and start um, and hang out and see how the remedies are acting. If the remedies start to act, you can go home if you start seeing the things are moving along. I can't tell you the number of times I've done that with my father, who thought he was having a heart attack, 
And then in the end, turned out that he actually was not having a heart attack. And meanwhile, I'm in the car with him. We've got a blanket over his lap. He's got his nice warm water that he's drinking with, say, Magfoss in it and a 6X, and he's sipping it, and we're talking, and we're playing classical music so we can calm down, and I'm administering the remedies. And I said, Dad, at any time we can go in, but why don't we just sit here and hang out? And he knows that he's only 30 paces away from that emergency. How comforting is that? Now you got the best of both worlds. It's true. Now, the beauty of this is that you might be able to turn it around, go home, and he'll never get all of the drugs, or she will never get all the drugs that, are, um, that, what is, that is automatically given regardless of where, what, what's happening, almost. Mm-hmm. And, and you lose control in the emergency room. Sometimes you need to do that. Okay, we're going to concede on that. Sometimes you need to do that. But too many times, um, it's, it's fear that brings you there. Yes. And it's not, it's not uh, the logic. And if you can see the remedy starting to act and you're only 20 paces away, you got the best of both worlds. Well, I have so to say. in the parking lot at the hospital. The, the worst decisions I have made about my health were when I led with fear. Yes. You know, that is, and, and fear, we, we know it, it dilutes your thinking, your logic, you know, and so that's why it goes back to step number one. You have to have the knowledge because if you know that knowledge really well, it almost comes, it, it comes, it kicks in when you need it. Right. It just, it hits, you know, I know what to do or, you know. Right. And so, so the rule number three is basically following the rules of what you should expect as far as improvement goes. Right. right. The length and of know time. Those, know those rules. And know those rules. And right. so for an acute condition, I can't say this enough when I teach my study group classes, for an acute condition, you should see some sort of shift within three to five-ish doses. Doses, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be spread out every 30 minutes unless you're having some sort of anaphylactic. Unless it's very drug. severe, yes. yes. Unless the symptoms are extremely severe. Life-threatening. Not, yes, life-threatening. If they're not very severe. And you're doing, you're administering this on the way to the hospital, folks. Mm-hmm. I am not saying that you should ignore a life-threatening condition and, um, and, and it not go to the hospital. If you feel that you can't do this, then by all means, you get the, to a hospital on the way you're administering. Maybe your husband's driving and you're administering. So you need to know when improvement should be, what it should look like, and right. how soon it right. should come. Right, right, exactly. Okay. Okay, so what's the fourth guideline? The fourth guideline is diagnosis. Because if you don't know what it is, you, and, and it can be very useful to know what it is, obviously, for many reasons. I mean, if it's you know, uh, hemorrhaging, you need to know that. If it's septic, the infection has gone septic. You need to know that. So a diagnosis is very valuable, not only because it, it, it tells you, uh-oh, I need to get to an emergency room or a doctor or something, but it also tells you if it's not that severe and you feel as though you can handle it, what homeopathic medicines to use. Right, right. Well, it goes back to that story we were talking about, um, the Moms with Moxie interview where her son had a fever seizure. Yes. Um, when she realized it was strep throat, she was like, oh. Okay, well, first of all, the fever seizure, and everybody agreed, wasn't life-threatening. It was just, it happened. And now I know how to take care of whatever illness this is. It's strep. I got it. I'm going to go home. You know, and she just, she took care of it. Well, those febrile seizures are very, very scary. There's no doubt about it. And if a parent has never witnessed one, it, it's, it can freak them out. So um, that is something to be reckoned with, but really more from a psychological point of view for the parent. Because right. by the time you get to the hospital with a child who's a febrile seizure, the, the seizures are gone. They only last right. a, few, a few minutes. Right. So, but the, and then when you get there, then all that is, is done is here's take, give them this Tylenol. Really? Right. Tylenol? Right. It's a seizure. Well, no, but the seizure's over with. And a febrile seizure is only 
if it's a normal, if we're talking about normal childhood illness now, we're not talking about head injuries that causes seizure that may cause a seizure or, um, you know, a, a fever of 108, which is only from a head injury that 107, that it could go that high because fevers sure. have their own sure. level. Of, they can't go any higher than, than generally 100, 506 even um, for a normal childhood illness. And that's within reason to allow that to occur. So um, without treatment, without even homeopathic treatment for that matter. And I will refer you to the, uh, to go online and check out what the American Academy of Pediatrics says about fevers. They say, finally, I might add, <laughs> finally, I mean, the homeopaths have known this for 230 years, that a fever is curative and that you should not treat the symptom, which is the fever. You should allow the fever to cook off the disease, the bacteria or the virus, so that the child can heal. But if you're always given that Tylenol or acetaminophen every single time a child has something like this, they're never gonna be able to learn, the body's never gonna learn how to, how to cook off a disease. You're constantly suppressing it and not allowing it to occur. For her, getting the diagnosis was actually helpful. He had a fever, and it helped her understand the illness more fully to finish the, the illness. And of course, the next morning, he was perfectly fine. Yes. This yes. reminds me of the time my son, you know, this is like very embarrassing, but he's... <laughs> He, he's not going to listen to this podcast. He's nine. Okay. But he had, he had a pain in his, one of his testicles, really bad pain. And I mean, so, and it just came out of nowhere and it was so extreme. He was even having to walk weird. And so I picked a remedy for him. I actually gave him pulsatilla and it helped. And we're in the middle of getting ready to move and it. And over, I think five days, it had improved significantly, but it, it wasn't totally done. And I was just getting a little leery and I called the 800 number that our insurance gives for the nurse line, you know, and she says it could be testicular torsion and you need to take him to the emergency room immediately because it can cut the blood supply off to the testicle and basically become gangrene. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of aware that maybe this could be a big deal. So I finally just said, you know, we're going to go in. We're just going to do an ultrasound and just, let's just look. Mm -hmm. you know? And it was right before we moved. And when I moved, I wouldn't know where to go if it got serious, you know, where to drive to. And it just, it was nice to kind of know it's yes. going to be fine. And, and they, they looked, she said, well, whatever it is, his body's working it out. I thought it was going to be torsion, but it's not, you know, based on the symptoms. Isn't that comforting to know that? It is. Yes. It doesn't it hurt to know a little more. Right, right. So that's what I like doctors for is diagnostics mm -hmm. or nurses. They're very good at that. They don't always get it right. But right. they, they, they often do. They see a lot of the same cases over and over again. So I like that diagnostic. What I don't like are some of the treatments. So we have right. to be careful of that. Right. That's what I was saying. Steal yourself when you get in there, you know, embolden yourself and know what you're going to be okay with, what you're not. So kind of going to doctors, we're saying that we are going to want a relationship with the doctor. How do you have any suggestions for selecting a doctor? Yes. Get an old one. <laughs> an old guy an old guy no one under 60 and maybe I'm being a little facetious here but <laughs> you want someone who doesn't have a mortgage anymore you want someone who doesn't pay tuition anymore you want someone who's not pressured by his financial constraints in his own life and feeling overwhelmed that he has to make a decision that is in line with what the pharmaceutical rep is saying to him 
every couple of days in his office. You want a guy who is willing to step outside of the box. And that comes not only from not being pressured financially to make decisions that are more about his state of being than yours, mm -hmm. but you also want someone who's, who, clinically speaking, has seen these cases time and time again. And, and will after a while say, febrile seizures, you know, so we give the kid a Tylenol. I don't know what good that does. That's what I'm told to do. I learned that in medical school. You give a, you give a Tylenol, you give a cinnamethaphine. And then, and then he starts asking himself, what's the point? Why am I doing this? The child's not in pain. The seizure's over with. And he starts asking questions because he's seen it so many times. But a doctor fresh out of medical school is very impressed. And I can guarantee he or she is with his or her education. You know why they're impressed? Because they spent a darn fortune on it. So when they get out of medical school and residency and internship, they have um, committed themselves to doing every single thing they've been taught because it costs so much. Now, they're not saying it because it costs so much. They're saying because, what are you kidding me? I just spent all this money and it's got to be right. I mean, that's the way we all right. think. It's like telling a guy who just bought a Ferrari, no, you know, you shouldn't have bought a Ferrari. You should have bought a Maserati. And are you going to, he's never going to say, oh my gosh, you're right. I just spent what, $100,000 on this car and I should have bought another one. No, it took him a long time to get to that car. <laughs> and he's not going to give it up because somebody said there's something else out there. <laughs> it's like they've been, they've, they've chosen to become indoctrinated which is funny indoctrinated doctors right right <laughs> you know, they, it is a choice mm -hmm. it absolutely is a choice now look i'm not saying medical school has no value because anatomy right. physiology pathology all of that is very important information for a doctor what i don't like that they're learning is the stuff that they get that is pharmaceutically based and that is what their professors are doing they are teaching them the pharmacy uh, directly from the pharmaceutical companies. And that is what makes me nervous. So they think that there is a drug for every ill and they know no, nothing else, except they do no diagnostics, pathology, and as, as I said. So they're good for that. But what I don't like, generally speaking, are the, are the methods that they use to treat. Actually, my friend um, went to school to be a doctor. And you know, she's about my age. What am I, like early 30s? And she quit medical school and she said, and she went into it for a while and she said, Paula, they gave us one semester of pharmacology. So we, we are not taught to understand the drugs. It's just one semester. Beyond that, it's just, here's the drug that we use. Here's the drug that we use from directly from the pharmaceutical reps. Absolutely. And she quit because she said, this is ridiculous. This is yes. medicine. This right. is me just being a, a monkey. It's no. very disappointing. It is. Very, it's very disappointing stuff. You know, as I said earlier, when, we, when I had to take my test to get my, my uh, degrees, uh, we had to memorize 300 some mm -hmm. homeopathic medicines. We had to memorize them inside and out. I had to know my medicines. I had to know what, the, what, what they were capable of touching on as much as I could possibly memorize. I had to know the keynotes and some of the, of the lesser more conditions that they would touch. Conventional doctors, I'm going to be honest with you, don't know their medicines. How come they don't know them? Well, because my medicines haven't changed since 100, 200, yeah. 230 years ago. Their medicines change every two years. Right. Why? Because they're yanked from the market. 
Right. They're yanked out and now they've got another one that they have to learn. So they don't learn them. They just, it's just a drug rep. And I'm sorry to be so, so I don't mean to be condescending here, but it is a paradigm that I know a great deal about uh, from many different angles. But uh, they know what drugs to use for what condition once they're in practice because the cute drug rep with the short skirts bearing the donuts twice a week and giving the classes to the, to the medical staff there um, is telling them what it's used for. So what's happening is that they're learning from the industry instead of learning from the clinic, their clinical experience. And that's the wrong paradigm. You have said that before about the, the pharmaceutical rep being this cute person. And I just, I would always think deep down like, oh, maybe Joette's a little outdated with that because, you know, now we're so aware of like sexism and all that stuff. Oh, garbage. Absolutely. Men <laughs> love watching, young, gorgeous girls. What are you I'm watching do? a TV show. Megan Fox is like the epitome of, she's like the most prettiest girl around. I'm watching a TV show. She comes in in a short skirt. Pull, she's a pharmaceutical rep. Her. <laughs> I, I about fell off my chair and I was like, Joe, it's been right this entire time. <laughs> Let me tell you how I also know. Not only do I know because I was married to a doctor in my 20s neurosurgeon but also because when i later on in, in my when i was about 30 um, i had been working in real estate in washington dc and i was I had moved back to my hometown and i needed a job and i was had been in sales yes i did ma'am absolutely you were a pharmaceutical no i didn't i didn't get the job let me tell you how this worked out <laughs> <laughs> i applied for a job for one of the major pharmaceutical companies and they were located in my area. And I applied and I was the second runner up for the position. <laughs> now, I got to tell you, in college, I was an English major. Oh. So I, the, you know, the only value I got out of, uh, only discernible value I got out of being an English major, to be honest, is to know how to spell discernible. Oh. But other than <laughs> <laughs> but I never took a single biology, anatomy, physiology, pathology course in my entire life at that point. I had never even touched a course. I never even took um, a biology because it was not required. I went to a very liberal college, I might add, and I didn't, there were no requirements like that. So for them to even be considering me was absolutely ridiculous. Because you're now, cute. At the yes, I was cute. I wore short skirts. I had sales experience and I had no understanding of medicine at that time in my life whatsoever. Now, the woman who got the job, because they had, I came back for two interviews. The woman who got the job was a nurse. She should have gotten the job. I should never have been considered in a million years. I was the wrong, I was absolutely the wrong profile in my mind. And I was laughing all the way thinking, I can't believe this. These people actually think I can do this. And I didn't lie. Right. I told right. what my background was. I was in real estate. Right. <laughs> oh, well, you dodged a bullet, lady. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. It might have been quite the experience. But yeah, that woman deserved that job, not me. I should never have even been considered. Right. You should so have been I know how the system works. I also have been in business and many businesses, many industries through the years. I'm in my 60s. I've done it all. I've been there and done it. And I will tell you that young, svelte girls who dress, dress stylishly in high heels sell. That's the way it works. That's what sells. End of discussion. And if anybody wants to think differently, well, you're welcome to do so. But that's what sells to doctors, especially when they're exhausted and they've just about had it and she comes in with the donuts. 
or the chicken wings. So you want the doctor that has been through it all and is at the end of it and can yeah. think critically and doesn't care. You know, um, my neighbor is actually, um, is an, he's an older gentleman, just like you've been describing. He, all his children are put through school, um, financially independent. You know, I'm sure he doesn't have a mortgage anymore. And he is a um, child psychologist. And do you know what he does? One of his first line of attacks when he's treating someone with ADHD or something, he says, we, we start with the placebo. I sit the parents down. I say, placebo is actually a real cure. And I, here's a bottle. It's a sugar pill. Give your kid this and let's see if placebo acts and if it cures them. And he says, it's a cure. It's a real cure. Why wouldn't I do that? And it works. He, I forgot the number he gave me, but kind of a big enough number for him to want to do it. Now, I wonder where he learned that. That's a smart man. Yeah. That's a very, that's, you know what it is? It's smart, more than smart. That's a wise man. That is a wise man. And that's the kind of doctors we need. We need those with wisdom, not the kind of smarts that got them into medical school, because I'll tell you, the kind of smarts that gets you into medical school is compliancy. You have to memorize this. You have to please the professor. You get to do that in undergrad. Now you get to medical school. You can compliancy study. This is what you study, you idiot. And they're really unkind to them. They really can be pretty mean in medical school. So this is what you read, um, idiot. This is what you study. This is how you do. This. Study this, memorize it, and spew it back to us. And so what we're what we're getting what we're getting out what we're educating them to become our compliant soldiers. And I believe that that is where what we're doing is that we're training doctors to be compliant to an industry. They're just drug reps in the end. That's what they're doing. Just being the 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 job is being passed on to the doctor. And then um, that is tr the training ground, especially if we're talking about pediatricians, the training ground for parents. Well, and you just see the pattern. No one's questioning. The drug rep isn't questioning. The doctor's not questioning. And that's our job then. Then we need to question. Someone needs to break that pattern. That's I it. hate mediocrity. I hate mediocre thinking. I think we should all excel at what we do. And I love doctors who excel. They don't, there aren't a, an awful lot of them, but those that are out there are incredible, like Dr. Robert Mendelson. And there are others, too, that I have met throughout the country at conferences, et cetera, and they do exist. So, so if how do we must, find them? I know. You're right. Well, you know how you find them? You ask. You talk to your friends. Go to your chiropractor and say, you know, a good doctor. You know, um, you, you go to the Whole Foods uh, uh, place where you get your, your groceries. Your natural store. Yes, your natural stores. And ask people. And you want to hear the same name again and again and again. And if mm -hmm. one of the words is, oh, he's a young doctor, forget it. Right. Don't generally want a young doctor. As I said, right. they're too impressed with what they've learned. Well, I have to say, one of the big things people say is, oh, my doctor's great. He really listens to me. It doesn't matter if he listens to you. I mean, it does matter. But to some degree, it doesn't matter if he listens to you. What matters is what he's telling you. Yes. You know, and, and if you guys are working together, I agree. You, you go to your local, you know, especially the, the locally owned natural health food store. They have a lot of resources. Yes, they have. The owners of those stores are really have their hands on the pulse of what's going on in the medical community. It, in your yes, local yes. area. And don't expect that it's going to be someone around the corner. Right. You may have to travel an hour. Right. It's so true. what? So what? Another tip I've heard is you can also try and find the doctors that don't force vaccinations. You know, um, the government pays doctors uh, like a some sort of a bonus check. A stipend, sure. right. If, if a certain percentage of their patients are vaccinated. And so the doctors that opt out of that are the ones that aren't going to compel parents and the ones that don't compel parents to vaccinate. Now, whether or not you vaccinate is, 
is, you know, it's, that's up to you. But I'm saying if your doctor is okay and bringing you into the conversation and, and having a relationship and a partnership over your child's health, that's probably a good doctor. So I say find a doctor who doesn't push vaccines. Right. It's a good right. Exactly. A good now, that could be, could be a naturopath, mm-hmm. doctor of naturopathy. Could be a good chiropractor. Yeah, I like could that. Be con- could be also could be a conventional doctor who's, who's thinking a little differently. Um, don't assume that if it's a woman that she's going to be any more open than a man is. Um, but um, if it is a woman, you want one that has a lot of kids. Right. Because she's already seen what's happened. She's comfortable. She's okay. She's been there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that about chiropractors. People take their kids to chiropractors for ear infections. Which yes. I, I, never, I never knew you could yes. do that. Yes. That's great. Yes. yes, absolutely. Yes. Chiropractors tend to be a little easier to find, I feel like. Well, and I, what I like about chiropractors, too, is they palpate. They actually touch you. They don't send you for tests far in the distance way, and then you have to come back two weeks later, and then that's analyzed, et cetera. Not that we don't like tests. Please don't get me wrong. I really believe right. that there, are, there is a time for tests, no doubt about it. I mean, diagnostics, are, is a, uh, that, having that in your hip pocket can be very, very valuable. Uh, let me just give you a quick example. You got a lump around your breast, and you know that it's, and you don't know what it is, and it's not something that's, you know, getting larger and smaller because, you know, every month, um, or if you eat too much chocolate or something, you know it's not fibrous tissue, you, something is off. Um, you want to know, is that an abscess? Is that a, a, a fibroid? Is it um, cancer? So you do I mean, a thermal scan. Point, yeah, you do thermography and find out what, what, what it is. If they still can't tell you with thermography, Yes, you would go for a mammogram. Of course, you would go to the next step. You're not foolish about this. Mm-hmm. But um, on the other hand, to go straight to mammography just because you turned a certain age sounds to me like we're lining someone's pockets. Right, right. I also tell people, you know, when they're trying to find a good OBGYN, not everybody is comfortable doing home birth or birth with a midwife, or sometimes it's the husband. The husband's not comfortable with it, and so you're trying to find a compromise. I tell people, well, find a great midwife and find out who her attending physician is. Good idea. Oftentimes, they yeah, have a good great idea, relationship. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Absolutely. And then I have to say, my, my husband had a, a little skin thing. You know, we weren't sure if it was a war. It just kind of popped up out of nowhere. I was worried it was like a mole. What if it's cancer? Ah, you know, I don't know. And you told me, go find an old guy. Go find an old dermatologist. And I sat at my computer. I was like, how do I Google this? Like, you know, somebody who's got, you know, his own words. Right. I was like, uh, old guy dermatologist. Anyways, I, I started looking through pictures of like local dermatologists. And I was like, this one looks old. Find the guys without hair. Right. So I did. I found this old guy. You know, yeah, absolutely. Of course, he's not covered on our insurance. He's yeah. out of network. Yeah. So I, so. My, I told my husband, all right, you have an appointment with this guy on this day. And just so you know, it's going to be out of pocket. So you're going to pay a hundred bucks. Right. <laughs> my husband's like, what? And I was like, Mm-mm, trust me on this. Just go. And of course he didn't have to do a biopsy. He looked at it. He knew exactly what it was. It's what we want. We want somebody who's seen a couple thousand of those right. and they can say after a while, that's what this is. You know, another thing I like about the old guys is they often don't, they don't fall into line with the political 
political correctness of the AMA or the medical society in their organ, their area, or the Department of Medicine in their their um, state, um, and so they don't they don't follow the rules quite as much. I'm going to be retired in another five to eight years. I'm going to do what I know is right, not what is required by some organization and um, some rule that tells me that I have to have everything biopsied. Right. Right. You're right. Not worried about about the litigious nature of society. They're ready to retire. Right. They want to, they want to do what they think is best and right. Right. And don't tell them what to do. Yeah. Yeah, And you may not get any alternative information from them, but you may get something that's a little more conservative and that's what we're looking for. Right. You're right. That's it. So let's review, you know, when you're trying to discern about whether or not you should stay home or go see a doctor or go to the emergency room, we have, you told us about the four steps. We need to have the knowledge, knowledge. about yep. homeopathy, about the remedies, about how to do it. You have to own the remedies. You've got to have them in your house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need to follow the rules of what you should expect as far, as far as improvement goes with homeopathy. That's right. That's right. And that's that three to five doses. Yep. And I usually say if it's not extreme, the three to five doses should take about a full day, so like 12 hours. And then the next- Depending on the condition. And of course, we're talking about acutes here, not chronic. Right, acutes. Thank you. Right, 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 right. And then finally, when in doubt or if it's persisting, go for a diagnosis. Find out, make sure it's not any seriouser than you think it is or whatever, you know? (laughs) not a real word but you know what yes. i mean yes. <laughs> and then and then when you do need to go to a doctor have one in place that's a good one an yep. old one an old one, one. <laughs> yeah. an old one that's that takes it you know in his stride oh yeah i've seen this a hundred times or whatever mm-hmm. that's what we want right. clinical experience can't be beat Instead of, oh boy, what's the insurance company going to say? Oh, I got to have this tested when he knows darn well, it doesn't need to be tested because it's right. just a nevy or something. Right. Yeah. Right. More money in people's pockets. Yes. Yeah. All right, Joette, this is really great information. I think we need to put it on our study group curriculum and, and make people listen to it for homework because it is very helpful, very important to protect yourself and make sure you're making wise choices as you go through. So. Yes. Yeah, it's always fun, Paula. I love it. I know. Thank you, Joette. I know. We're both so enthusiastic about this method that it's just too much fun to, you know, we just, we just, we enjoy it every time. I know. Sorry it's so long, y'all, but it's good information. (laughs) We love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks. All right. Thank you. You just listened to a podcast by JoetteCalabrese.com, where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author, Joette Calabrese, shared her passion for helping families stay healthy through homeopathy and nutrient-dense nutrition.